Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning, or to mostly see you this morning. It's good to be able to be together. And uh, in fact, we would, we would consider it our, our privilege to be together and uh, to be all together in one room. I, don't, uh, I was wonderful that we were able to be together last week, and yet with the limitations on 50 people or so in, in, the, in one room, then we had half over here and half over there for each service, and uh, that made a lot of running back and forth. Uh, the good upside of that was I got to preach uh, uh, four times instead of two. But uh, it's good to be all together. If some of you are feeling that you're not quite able to get the social distance you need, there is a whole row here in the front, as is normal in a Baptist church. But it's there, just in case. I could pull back a little bit if that would make you feel safer about being there. But uh, good to be together. It's, it's our privilege to be together. But And in the midst of all the limitations and the distance and the, and the mask wearing, and yet the privilege to gather together as the church of Christ is not one that's given to us by civil authorities. This is a privilege that's given to us by God that we, we are willing to adapt our needs and even our desires to the community at large around us and a danger is perceived and to exercise care for one another and exercise care within our community. So thank you for participating in that and uh, that care for one another and others. There's much of that that I actually want to speak into this morning from God's Word, that uh, that same mindset, privileges that we're given, what do we do with them? There's a lot that's been said about privilege lately. And I could spend the whole morning talking about the issues of privilege that are going on in our society. I would be talking about that secondhand. Um, my experience in a privileged society is actually being, well, in, a, in, a, in the racial divide, uh, some of my uh, sharper experience is actually being the minority in a majority African country where you, it was it was best and blessed to be Swazi. And if you couldn't be Swazi, well, being American, I guess, was okay. But we definitely were outside the loop. And, uh, but that's normal in one place or another. There, is a, there are majorities and there are minorities. There are privileges and there are advantages. And there are those that are less privileged or advantaged. And what do we do with that? And we could spend a lot of time talking about things going on in society that need to be talked about. And at the same time, Sometimes when the church gets too involved in the things of the present hour, we can be accused of simply trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? And that, that is not a good use of our time, energy, efforts, and advantages. Um, in fact, it won't even help if we more than merely rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Neither will it help if we are able to move the people down below decks in steerage, if we were able to move them up into first-class cabins. That would not make the real difference that is needed either because the Titanic is still going down. There's something else that we know, there's something else that we can do that I want us to consider so I'm going to use this whole idea of privilege, not to discount another conversation, but somebody told me years ago, you need to use what people are talking about to talk about what we need to be talking about. And in the midst of reality of privilege, there is 
another privilege, a better privilege. And that's what I want to talk about. What will you do with your privilege? We have the privilege of freedom in this country to go to church. Kids, we're not able to have a kid's talk and get the kids up front. So let me start with this. Um, um, what, think about privileges. One, one that comes to my mind that kids can identify with. How many of you have had chocolate in this last week? Chocolate. Oh, some of the kids are saying, no, not me. I'm sorry. Because chocolate is a privilege of our era. Did you realize that? It wasn't very long ago that chocolate was only for the very elite. Chocolate was, was a privilege of royalty even. And yet chocolate is easily accessible to, to us unless you have a careful mother. If that's the case, well, I'm sorry about that. The rest of us will enjoy our privilege of chocolate. In fact, all of us in this room today would be considered wealthy, incredibly wealthy in the course of history, wealthier than kings. We would be considered wealthy today compared to the majority of the world's population. That is our privilege. I thank the Lord for the privilege of being born into this country instead of some other countries. And I'm not going to pick and choose and pick on various countries, but I'm delighted to live here instead of a country in Africa that my daughter lives in currently. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I live now in this country and not in the days of the pioneer Wild West, as exciting as that is. And if you miss that, then move to Capitol Hill in Seattle. <laughs> I, as much as I love to study the, uh, the first century and the Old Testament era, I would not want to live there. We, they had public baths. In the first century, not in the Old Testament, we have indoor plumbing. Way better advantage. We live in a safe environment. We have wonderful education opportunities. I, in fact, I was privileged to be born into a family where I had to work, get jobs outside of the home, even before I was 12 years old, in order to help buy and then to purchase completely by myself my school clothes and other supplies. You say, well... If you were to analyze it, you would say, yes, I grew up in a relatively poor family. And yet there was a privilege in that, in a work ethic that it instilled in my sisters and I from an early age that has served us well in our life. Even troubles can be an advantage. James, in fact, says that, that um, this was a verse that one of the men, I have a Bible study on Monday mornings, and I love learning in the company of others. One of the other guys pointed out, we were talking about what are some of the privileges we enjoy, he pointed out troubles. He said, James says it that way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect, let it work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God's goal for us is not ease. God's goal for us is not comfort. God's goal for us is not the American dream. God's goal is to conform us into the image of his son, to be more like Jesus. The problem is we have made Jesus look like the American dream. It's different than that. There is privilege, sometimes privilege even in disadvantage. The reality is that not every neighborhood is the same. 
Not everybody has the same privilege. Not everybody has the same advantages. For instance, we're seeing it, 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 it uh, cried out loudly um, night by night. North Portland is not the suburbs. The situation is different there. Schools are below par. There are not the same employment opportunities. There's no school choice. Schools in the, in the inner cities across America are more segregated now than they were in the days of Brown versus Board of Education. Planned Parenthood has been very effective, especially in the inner cities where they were founded to reduce the blight of, of children being born to unwed minority women. And they have vastly succeeded in that ambition to our shame. That far more babies are murdered in minority communities than anywhere else in the country. There are it is unlevel. There is a cycle of dependency that I believe in some ways our, our political leaders have been comfortable with allowing to stay in place. There are circumstances in cities and communities that they've allowed to stay in place because it serves the interest of those in power to have others dependent upon them. That cycle of dependency has increased in the last 50 years. There's a soft racism of low expectations. The, the crime stats play out disadvantages in some parts of town compared to others that lead to further decrease in, in employment opportunities, that lead to a different profiling by the police of people in those areas, which leads to a different experience that people have, which, which furthers crime, which increases gang. The cycle goes on and on. And, for instance, the south side of Chicago, the police will back away. Let them sort it out. If less police is the answer, look at the south side of Chicago, and you'd have a hard time making that argument. The reality is there are people that are advantaged. There are people that are disadvantages. There, are, there is inner city and there are suburbs. Let me give you another very uh, lighthearted example. A friend of mine gave me this. Well, I say a friend. I know him. He probably does not know me. I've been to his church a dozen times down in San Diego. I put his message on our BP Church Community Facebook page. I don't know if you saw that by Miles McPherson. Outstanding words on what can be done in the midst of the racial tensions that we're, we're seeing and the, the uh, privilege. What do we do with that? Wonderful practical advice there. His message is longer than mine. He speaks for almost an hour, but it's worth an hour of your time. I hope you had the chance to listen to that or will take that. But one of the examples he gives of the inequities, of the difference of advantages, how many of you, oops, how many of you are left-handed? You can tell I'm not. Okay? Roughly 10% of the population is left-handed. American population used to be less than that. Not because fewer people used to be born left-handed, but they were pressured into, into learning how to be dominant right-hand instead. And uh, that's not as much the case any longer. But uh, 10%. Now, if you are left-handed, you know what it is to be in the minority. You know what it is to be disadvantaged. You know what it is to be left-handed growing up in a right-handed world. Pastor Miles gives one example. The desks at school. You had those little chair desks, right? And there's a little chair, and there's a desk, and you slide into it, and you're already right there. You have the tabletop little desk right there you can take notes on, right there made for your right hand. And if you're right-handed, you can take your notes, and you can, you know, it's easy. It's made for you. 
If you're left-handed, well, you got to twist over this way, and that's going to mean years at the chiropractor to sort that out later. And you get your arm over there, and you're trying to write your notes, and you're a left-handed person in a world that was designed by and for right-handed people. Because no matter what the population realities are, no matter what the demographics are, people will design and use things to serve themselves. There's an inherent selfishness in it. That's the way we are. We make things for ourselves. And so the majority is one way. The society goes that way. Some are going to be advantaged by that. Others are going to be disadvantaged by that. It, life is not a level playing field. If you were hoping that it was, I'm sorry. It is not. Life is not level. In fact, God has given advantages to some over others. I mentioned that last week in Genesis chapter 12. Out of all the nations of the world, out of all the people in the world, God chose Abraham. He says, Abraham, you won the lottery, buddy. Abraham, I am going to make out of you a great nation. In fact, Abraham, I am going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you are all, well, hold on, hold up, wait a minute. What's God saying to Abraham there? Abimelech, buddy, you better watch out. Because you mess with my boy Abraham. Abraham is mine. I've chosen him. I'm going to bless those who bless him. I'm going to curse. Abimelech better be careful he doesn't get on the wrong side of Abraham. You're saying, who's Abimelech? Well, go read the story, Genesis 12 and following. But but the point is, God certainly gives Abraham an advantage. God certainly gives Abraham an upper hand in that. He says, in you, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Oh, there's more to it. Okay, well, that, that favoring, that advantage of Abraham goes on to, to Isaac over Ishmael. It goes on to Jacob over Esau. It goes on to Israel over the other nations. So that Paul would write, what advantage does the Jew or Israel have in Romans 3? He says, great in every way. And you can read it in the next couple of verses of Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. But also Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse Paul returns to this theme of the advantage, the privilege of Israel over other nations. They are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the temple, the promises, the covenants. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Done. It is written. Israel was privileged. In fact, Jesus himself says to the Samaritan woman at the well, when she asks him a question about temples, he says, you worship what you don't even know. We worship what we know. We have Moses. We have the prophets. And salvation in the one standing there, salvation, Jesus tells her, is of the Jews. Yeah, Israel was uniquely privileged the corollary for that is that privilege itself is not sinful. Using our privilege or our advantage to selfishly advance ourselves, using privilege selfishly, that is where sin enters into the picture. Okay? So, there is not a level playing field. We have privilege. There is advantage. What are we going to do with that? What will we do with the privilege that we have? What do you do with the advantages that you've been given? Because you have been given advantage. 
especially if you have been born again, if you have been made a child of God, if you have been born from above, if you have been made an heir of glory through faith in Jesus, saying, God, I believe you concerning your son Jesus, that Jesus came and died in my place for me, in order that by my believing in him, he gives me his life, not only in this life, but for eternity. If you are born again by faith in Christ, you have privilege. You have an advantage. In fact, your advantage reaches beyond Abraham. Let me turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. I encourage you to go there as well if you like. Ephesians chapter 1, and in verses 3 through 14, I'm just going to read through some of the uh, advantages or privileges. What has God done for us that I've highlighted in this passage? That he has blessed us, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Verse 4, he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 8, it's according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. Lavished upon us. Verse 9, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purposes. Verse 13, in him you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You have heard what others have not heard and have believed it. And you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise who also indwells you. The Spirit of the living God lives in you and I who are born again through faith in Jesus. Imagine the privilege. Privilege that Abraham himself did not imagine has been given to us in the church, the body of Christ today. But what do we do with what we've been given? You see, God does bless sovereignly. God blesses differently. God privileges one this way and another that way. Even within the body of Christ, gifts are given differently. They're apportioned differently. Some are gifted one way, some are give, gifted another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, gifts are given a portion to each one, not according to your ability, not according to your desire, not according to what you signed up for or registered in advance for, but gifts are a portion to each one as the Spirit wills, and the verse goes on, very important, for the common good or for the good of all. Gifts are given to each one of us by the Spirit as He chooses, not for your benefit. You have been privileged, you have been advantaged, but not for your benefit, not for your gain. You have been privileged, you have been advantaged for the sake and the advance of others. That's what it says. That's the purpose in the giving of the gifts. And so in that differences of giving, even Jesus, again, he, he tells a parable, the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, Jesus, uh, th there's a man going away on a journey, and because he's going away, he, he leaves things in hands of some of his servants, some of those who work for him, and he gives to one man, he gives to each according to their abilities, it says. That's important. But to one he gives five, to another he gives two talents, to another he gives one talent and he goes away. And then after some time he comes back and when he comes back he, he 
gathers his servants to report back on what they have done with what he entrusted to them while he was away. And the first servant comes and said, Master, with the five, ser- five talents that you've entrusted to me, I have gained for you another five. He took what he was given, what was entrusted to him, he put it to work, and so he would have five more. He doubled his master's money and returned it to him. And the master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. The next servant was given two talents. And he says, Master, I took those two talents and I gave you, and, and, and I've earned, I've created two more. And here are now the four. And his master says the same exact thing. I mean, he was not more excited about the five than the two. He's just as thrilled. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The joy of your Lord. That's the reward. Not, hey, now you got four instead of two. You have more to work with now. No, their reward is the joy of the Lord. And then there's a third guy. He was given one. Remember, each was given according to their ability. So how much, if you're sharp, if you're following me, how many talents should the third man have now? He had one. He should have Two. How many does he have? One, because he was a careful man. And the problem is, he has a low estimation of his Lord. He says, well, I knew that you were a harsh man. And I knew you would take what you had not given. I knew that you would reap where you had not sown. And so, I didn't want to take a chance. I buried it in the ground so that I could dig it up again and give it back to you. And I did absolutely nothing with what you've given me. And he says, you are a evil, a wicked and worthless servant. And so he takes the one talent from that one and he gives it to the one who has ten. Because he had five and got five more. To, to him who has will more be given and to him who does not, even what he did have will be taken from him. What we have been given... We have been given to use for the advance and the benefit of others. What will you and I do with what we've been given? Will we put it into use, even at risk? Will we put it into use, even at risk, because that's why our Lord has given it into our hands? Let me have us turn to John chapter 21. The very last chapter in the Gospel of John And we're going to be at the very end of the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples that John records. And it's perhaps worth noting that the Gospel of John is the last of the Gospels in the New Testament to be written. So this is the last word in any of the Gospels recorded of Jesus' words to his disciples. It must be of interest to us. Now to set it up, before we begin reading in verse 18, to set it up, this is the breakfast at the beach. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter and some of the others had decided to go fishing, and while they're fishing and catching nothing, again, that seems to be a theme, Jesus shows up on the shore. He's got a little cook fire, and he prepares some bread. He's already got fish, and he's got some bread and and a little charcoal fire going there. And uh, they they end up on the shore with him to to cut the... And it's there, after breakfast at the beach, that's where Jesus restores, graciously restores Peter from his failing. Remember Peter said, Lord, I don't know about these guys, but I will follow you into death. And Jesus had said to him in John 13, Peter, truly, truly, 
before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. And it happened. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter was devastated in his own failure. And yet here the Lord three times restores him. Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these do? He almost invites Peter to jump into the comparison game again, right? Peter doesn't bite this time. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. not going to compare himself to anybody. Then, what will you do, Peter? Tend, feed my lambs. He asked him again. He asked him a third time. Peter, shepherd my sheep. Feed my lambs. And so... Peter has been graciously restored, and then we enter into what the Lord says after feed my sheep, what the Lord has for him next. And pick it up in verse 18. Truly, truly, just as sure as was his denial and his failure going to be, so is what Peter is going to do in the future. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, that Peter would stretch, have his hands stretched out on a cross, even as Jesus did. Crucifixion was in Peter's future. When Peter, when Peter followed Jesus, he would be following him all the way to the cross. Okay? And after saying this, Jesus says to Peter, Follow me. That's what you're given to do. That's what you're called to do. Now, Peter, easily distracted, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And Peter saw this other disciple, apparently John. Peter says, Lord, what about this man? Isn't that what we do? In the midst of what God has given me to do, what do I want to do? I want to know about I want to know about that one. I want to know about you. I want to know what you're going to do rather than what am I going to do. Lord, what would you have me to do? I love Paul's words on the road to Damascus. Lord, what would you have me to do? Jesus has talked to Peter here. Now Peter points to John. And Jesus' answer in verse 22, remember this is the closing words of the gospel. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? My business with him is not your business. That's the point, and it's repeated because that's the point, and we so easily miss and go sideways and go off on a tangent. The word spreads in the early church. Hey, John's not going to die. Stick close to John. That's the safe place to be, right? Stick with John because John's not going to go and Jesus is going to come before John goes. And that's not what Jesus said at all. And John's clarifying that in, in the 90s when he writes this gospel. He's still clarifying that point. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is far more important is don't you worry about your brother or sister and what the Lord is doing with them. You follow him. You see, what gets in our way, what gets in our way 
of following. What gets in our way of using what God has advantaged and privileged us with is our eyes on somebody else. Let me give you an example of that from my own experience, how we easily will compare. There was a time when we were called to the mission field which is a great privilege. It's an, it's an advantage. It's an advantage in terms of how the Lord works with you in a cross-cultural setting, showing you things about yourself that you didn't even know were there. That was a huge advantage for us. It's a privilege to be a missionary, whether here, there, or wherever. God calls us to the mission field to serve in Africa. We get out of the Air Force. We, we seemingly would leave much behind in order to do that. We're in the process of discovering where our support would come from. I called it support discovery rather than support raising. I wasn't raising anything. God was just showing us how he would provide for us. And while we were in at, at our sending church, they were having in the course of their missions conference week a men's breakfast. And I was going to get to tell these men gathered from this large church of the call and privilege that God had set before us. And so like a good missionary, I was there early and meet as many of the guys as I could, right? And I was there before the missions chair and the missions chair pulls up and he has got a shiny new red BMW. And he must have just got it that week because none of his friends had seen it yet. And so he pulls into the parking lot and guys are gathering around his shiny new red BMW and the not so shiny green monster wells up in me. We're the missionary. We're, we've left so much in the midst of a career and so forth to go off to Africa. And all we need is for others to give the financial support so that we can go. We're ready to go. But this guy, and he's the missions chair of the church, and yet he's putting his money in his shiny new red BMW. Well... What I didn't know, I knew the chair of the missions team was a, was a dentist. What I didn't know is before we would leave, within a few months, we would be leaving for the mission field. And between that time and then, he would make sure that all of us, our whole family, got through his dental practice and things checked out and looked at and, and taken care of because he cautioned us about how much dental care we should have in southern Africa in the midst of a heightened danger of HIV. When we came back from furlough, and again from another furlough, and again we came back. Each time we came back, he took us all into his practice. He did this for other missionaries as well. There was one time when there was something more expensive going on in my mouth, and he, he called in a favor from another guy and had me go over there to, to do one, one part of the procedure, and then he called in a favor from somebody else to have them make the uh, cap that was going to need to be placed in, 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 in place on my tooth or a bridge or something. I forget just what it was, but it was expensive. But not to me, because he covered all of that. And he only did, 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 that, did that for our family. He did that for the other families of the other missionaries of the church. He had privilege. He had advantage. And he used it for... And here was I worried about what kind of car he was driving. You know the funniest part of this? You know the name of that dentist friend? Dr. Carr. Spelled with a K. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? God has left that message with me. That uh, so easily, in the midst of God's privilege and advantage for me, I want to say, but Lord, what about? Never mind, Jesus says. Jesus says, would you just focus a minute here? You follow me. 
That's it. That's what the Lord has for us to do. That is so free, and I don't have to worry about what anybody else does. I follow him. Well, then you became a pastor, and now i got to worry about what you people are doing too. The encouragement, the encouragement here is Jesus points to Peter's future. Even and Peter's still having trouble here, but Jesus points to his future. He said, truly, truly, you are going to follow me. Truly, truly, Peter, you're going to follow me all the way to your own death in suffering for the sake of your testimony to the church. We're to use our privilege. We're to use our advantage not to serve ourselves, not to compare with others. That'll distract us. But we use our privilege or advantage to lift others, to invite others in. Another video I put on the, church, on the BP Church community group this week was a little short Bible project on biblical justice. About six minutes long. If you can't handle an hour, you can handle six minutes. Because you're still here listening to me, so I know you've got six minutes in you. But, but uh, that, the, the, pro, the thing about biblical justice, he talks about justice in society and how when people have advantage, they typically use that advantage to push others down in order to push themselves up. And we see that. And uh, yet, Jesus is the one who comes into that and does that very differently, doesn't he? There is no one more privileged than Jesus. There is no one more privileged. He thought it not. He, 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 he was equal with God, and he thought that his equality with God was not something to be clung on to, but he humbled himself. He stepped down. He took his advantage and he, his privilege as the Son of God, and he allowed himself to be expended and spent for our salvation. Even as Paul borrows that language and he says that he would hap happily, gladly spend and be spent for you, for others. And that's the model we're to follow. To follow Paul as he follows Christ. To follow Jesus in his sufferings for the sake of others as Jesus himself exhorted Peter. Peter, you you feed my lambs. You shepherd my sheep. You shepherd my lambs, Peter. Your privilege is for the sake of others, not for yourself. So, who can I use my privilege to benefit? Who around me can I reach to? How can I use the conversations about privilege to point to the one who is more privileged than the other and what he did with his privilege? So I can learn something from that privilege. I can use my privilege, advantages, whatever they are that I have for the sake of others. Whether they are my gifts, whether they are my abilities, whether they are resources that I have, money in my pocket, a home that I have that I can exercise hospitality and invite others into, time that I have that I can use not only to advance my own interest, but I can use my time for the sake of somebody else. Invite somebody else into where you belong. For instance, your home. Invite somebody in for a meal. Maybe you have tickets to an event or get extra tickets to an event and share those. Invite somebody else to go along. Not somebody else who's your friend because as Jesus said, where's the benefit of that? You'll do something for them. They'll do something for that. It's a nice mutual back and forth beneficial society. How will you use what you have for the benefit of somebody else who won't necessarily return that favor? Soon, this next week, in the end of next week would be three weeks, maybe the end of next week, Clark County could be in phase three. 
This is all language we weren't ever even thinking about in the first of the year, but we could be in phase three. You could have more people together again. You can have a, a, a larger group invited into your backyard for a barbecue. Have a COVID phase three survivor's barbecue. Maybe you've had neighbors you've never really gotten to know, but now it's been three months or four months, and they don't know anybody anymore, so you can start out fresh. It's like you've had a neighborhood sabbatical, and now you can jump in and re-engage and restart and invite them in. A small group you were a part of. One of our small group leaders had one of the couples that was supposed to be in his group. They gave up on the whole thing and moved back to Texas. Okay, we went looking in his neighborhood for somebody else he could invite into their small group. Somebody that doesn't have a church nor a small group to be a part of. I remember something Mike Leake, one of our elders, did. He was teaching a series of parables in our men's group on Wednesday night. So what do you do? He's got a friend, a friend that he's engaged with in spiritual things over the years. But as far as we know, the, the friend is not a believer in Jesus, doesn't go to church anywhere. But he invited him to come along. And because Mike was, he's, he's friends of Mike and Mike was teaching, okay, I'll go see what kind of nonsense you're talking about. And he came, and he, and he engaged with him. Mike, introduced him to some of the rest of us, and we got to know him better. And, and that kind of inviting somebody else into a group that you're a part of. I know one of the things that some of the folks here at Brush Prairie, they intentionally reach out to and connect to foreign students that are on campus at WSU here in Vancouver. And there's a, there is some program you can join and be a part of where you can be paired up. You can get to know some foreign students and be a local contact for them. I'm not describing this well, but Josh, you know something more about that. Put your hand up because I've just made you the official representative for that. If you want to know more about how you could do that, not through Josh, but he could tell you something about it. There's opportunities. How can I use belonging that I have in this society to Stretch into a relationship with somebody else. Our seniors group can do that for other seniors who don't have a group like that. Our ladies group, I think of the Loving Hands group, for instance, as one example of that, where uh, there's other ladies that would be interested in doing those things, and then they form friendships, and then there's other things, there's spiritual things that they talk about when they're together. Students, if you ever get to go back to school again, whether public school, high school, college, whatever that looks like for you. If you ever get to go to school again, who could you help study? Who doesn't quite get it as easily as you do? Or maybe who's outside of your group or any group? You know, in, in the school setting, there's always those that are in with the others in one group or another, and then there's, there's some that aren't part of another group, and they're just there, alone. Kind of sounds like Ephesians 2, without hope and without God in the world, outside, excluded. You could be the one to invite them in. Everybody needs a sponsor to get into a group. Or you could be the one to go to them. From your privilege of being in this group, you could go to them. How do we extend ourselves to people around us? The question really is this. What will I do in following Jesus, in using the advantage and privileges that I have in life for the sake of others? And that's a complex. I could, I could try to list examples, and they might not touch where you're at, but the Spirit can touch where you're at. And I would love to invite you to do this. Pray simply this way. Lord, what would you have me to do with what you've blessed me with, with what you've given me? And I would encourage you to do that in a circle of others. Maybe it's a discipleship 
triad or group with a couple of others that you meet regularly with and you're walking with the Lord together. Maybe it's a small group that you're a part of, but others that you know, others that you trust, others that know you and thus can speak a little into your life. Because sometimes I kind of know what the Lord would stretch me and tell me to do, but I don't want to be Gumby. I don't want to stretch. Stretching can hurt. Have you ever looked at Gumby and wondered, how does, how, doesn't that hurt? Being stretched hurts, right? And yet we need to be stretched outside of our own comfort. And sometimes we need the encouragement of others to put their finger on something for us or with us. That's one of the reasons that I, I so want you to be part of some kind of smaller group where you can be growing together with others. And you can be asking one another. In fact, this week, if you're meeting together, ask, where could, how could I use advantage, privilege God has given me for the sake of others? Lord, what would you have me to do? If we're going to be going to people around us, see, we leave our group to go to people around us and to invite them, bring them into God's family. That's our church's mission, to go to others around us, to bring them into God's family and to build one another up as followers of Jesus. And if we are going to be building others up as followers of Jesus, we are going to have to be building others up as those who go to others around us and invite others in to the privilege that we have of knowing the true and the living God. That's what it means when we say or when we sing as we're about to, Lord, I will follow you. This would be the good time in a normal church offering where we would receive a normal church service <laughs> where we would receive the, the morning offering. We're not going to do that this morning. We're just going to sing, and it's going to be up to you what you do from there whether in your online giving or in the offering boxes when you go. But this is just a time to sing and to pray, Lord, I will follow you. What would you have me to do? Let's pray. Father, would you meet us here? Lord, would you give us, Lord, a clearer mind on how we would, from our privilege, follow Jesus in his privilege. Follow Jesus in stepping down from where he was, out of his privilege for the sake of others. Father, would you give us both the courage to release what we hold in our hands for the sake of others. Father, would you use this conversation about privilege in our society to wake us up about the privilege you've given us in Jesus for all eternity that you've given us not merely for ourselves, You've given it to us that even as you have lifted us in Jesus, that we would give ourselves like he did for the sake of others. Lord, we ask, what would you have us to do? And we pray that by your grace, we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.